Our scripture reading this morning, Old Testament reading, is from Psalm 14. So I ask you to please turn to Psalm 14 and then back over to Romans 1, 18 through 23. Psalm 14. And again, as we read the Old Testament scriptures, I want you to get the connection, the continuity between the old and the new. You can't disconnect the Old Testament from the new or vice versa. This is God's inspired word, all of it, every bit of it. And so, so much of the old speaks to uh, what we find in the new, actually. So, Psalm 14. The fool has said in his heart, listen to that, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They're corrupt. They do abominable deeds. There's no one who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, any who seek after God. They've all turned aside. Together they've become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. Have they no knowledge, all the evildoers who eat up my people as they eat bread and do not call upon the Lord? There they are in great terror, for God is with the generation of the righteous. You would shame the plans of the poor, but the Lord is his refuge. Oh, that salvation for Israel would come out of Zion when the Lord restores the fortunes of his people. Let Jacob rejoice. Let Israel be glad. Now over to Romans 1, our familiar text. I hope it's familiar by now to us. Um, And next week we, no, no, we're still going to be in verse 23. I spoke too soon. (laughs) I was going to say we'll start 24 next week, but uh, we'll still be in this, this, this particular pericope, this particular section, but that's okay. Romans 1.18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what could be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power, his divine nature, they've been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they didn't honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking. Their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Thus ends the reading of God's word. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we do thank you and praise you so much. And again, Lord, as we come before your word, I ask that you pour out your spirit upon us and give us understanding, Lord. Apart from your spirit, we can do nothing. Pray that you would be with me. Again, Lord God, Um, by your grace and mercy and spirit to bring forth your precious word. Give us attentive hearts, Lord, to really learn, to be, to gain wisdom and understanding and knowledge, to, to be convicted where we need to be convicted, comforted where we need to be comforted, Lord, encouraged where we need to be encouraged and challenged where we need to be challenged by your word. So give us understanding. Apart from you, Lord, it doesn't matter the preparation. It doesn't matter what goes into it. It will not succeed. So we recognize, I recognize, and I realize that it's you, Lord God, who we look to, who we depend upon, who we rely upon, Lord. This is your word. Please, Lord, um, bring it to our hearts as you would by your spirit. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God. All right, so far in Romans 1, 18, Romans 1, Beginning in verse 18, what have we talked about? We've talked about the wrath of God. It's a big, big deal that God is justly angry at sinners. 
And again, you can go back and check out the sermons from the past couple weeks. Hopefully, there's some continuity to this kind of building up uh, these three sermons. It's like a little mini-series. And again, there'll be one more after this. Last week, do you remember we took a look at? We took a look at God's general revelation through his creation. We talked about that doctrine, about that teaching, and how it leaves every single person without excuse. Man, in your heart of hearts, you know God. And that comes out in different times in your life. Sometimes when you're very, very scared, you know, you've heard about those people, the foxhole Christians, God, if you get me out of this one, that kind of thing. There are times when you do acknowledge God. You suppress that truth as unbelievers, but you can't keep that beach ball down continuously. Sometimes it pops up and we get that glimpse of God. We do know him and we're left without excuse. Also last week, we talked about our sinful nature. It's not just that we know God from creation and reject him, but we also do that primarily because of our sin nature. And we did talk about that at the beginning of last week's sermon, that even with all that he's made, all that he's done, we still reject him. And remember what I said, that shows how deep sin runs in the heart of man and how needy and how desperate we are and helpless we are apart from Christ and how desperately we need the gospel. This is what it's all about, man. It's coming back to the gospel of Christ. Paul's laying it on. He's going to continue to lay it on, lay it on, lay it on. Our sin, our sin, our sin. He doesn't leave an escape for us. There's no escape hatch. There's nowhere we can go apart from Christ to escape our sin. Paul's making that very, very clear in these first three chapters, two and a half chapters of, of Romans. That's what he's doing. That's why these are pretty tough sermons. They're pretty dark in a way, in that way, because they're closing us in, and they hit home. Hopefully they hit home anyway. In our fallen nature, we naturally deny God, even though, even though that he made us. That's, that's how we are naturally, man. That's, that's, that's how we come out of the womb. That's how we live our lives. Also, This teaches us, this section teaches us that we're lawbreakers, man. That we break the law of God all the time. The moral law of God, think about the Ten Commandments. That applies to all of us. It wasn't just for Israel. God wasn't saying, okay, Israel, here's the Ten Commandments. You keep these, but the rest of the nations, you can do what you want. I'm okay with that. No, it's an obligation. Now, Israel was to keep them and to be a light, just like the church is to be a light unto the world, and, and Christians are. But every person's obligated. And it's not just the second half, the second table of the law. When we think about keeping the moral law of God, oh, I'm good, I don't murder, I don't steal, I try to be a good person, you know, walking walking that way. Listen, the first table of the law applies to all of us just as well. Do you understand that? A lot of people don't think, they don't tend to think that way. Even the shorter catechism says that the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. It's to glorify him. That's what we're called to do. And today we're going to talk about the fact that we don't honor God. We don't give thanks to God. We exchange the truth about God for idols. What's that speak to? That's like the first half of the commandments. You shall have no other gods before me. Don't make any graven images. Don't take the name of the Lord your vain. And and we'll even talk about the fifth commandment here. The entire law applies to all of us. So we are lawbreakers, in fact. And this really points to the first table of the law in many ways. Later on in chapter 2, we'll see the second table of the law when he talks about the moral application. But that's what I want to talk about today. There are two big things. If you get these down in your notes, sorry I don't have an outline today. Two big, two big ideas, two 
two things that we do in our rejection of God. Our rejection of God is anchored in two distinct and very devastating acts of rebellion. It might not seem much when I read it, but it absolutely means everything in terms of our relationship to God because this is what every single person does in their life. Number one, he says this, even though things are plain to them, clearly perceived in the world, so they're without excuse. So verse 21, check this out. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. Right there, those are the two big ones. Those are two devastating acts of rebellion that all people commit in their lives, man. It doesn't matter who you are, where you live, what you think about God. This is, this is what shows our separation from him. We refuse to honor him. Doxedzo, that's the word in Greek. It actually means glorify him. We, we, we do not glorify him. Again, it applies to all people everywhere. You know what it means to honor and to glorify God? Do you know what that means? It means to acknowledge him. It acknowledges God all the time for who he is, what he's done, what he's created, that he is almighty God. It means to esteem. It esteems him. It holds him in high regard. It respects him and his authority. It reverence him. It gives him all due reverence. That's what it means to honor and glorify. You know when you love somebody or you honor, you really respect that person, what do you do, man? You give them your attention, don't you? You give them your obedience because you love them and you respect them. See, God is all that from everybody, and yet what do we do? Uh Uh-uh. Sorry, God. Not today. To reverence, to glorify, it means to look to, right? You look to him for direction, for guidance. You seek to obey him. I want to please you, and you want to love him. Now, if you're a Christian this morning, that's our desire, isn't it? We don't always live up to that. In fact, we fail every day. That's why God is so gracious, and we're thankful for that. We want to do this. We want to honor him, acknowledge, esteem, reverence, glorify, obey him, and love him. We fall short of that. Praise God, he is God, and he's gracious, and he continues to love us. Amen? And praise God, but that's our new nature. But how many people do you know and how many, pe- how, how many of you, us, had this idea? How many people that are not Christians do you know that actually do this, that actually seek to? See, this is what I'm saying. By nature, we don't honor God, and he deserves that from everybody. That's the trick. That's what you need to get in your mind. That's what you need to get in your head, that everybody owes God honor, respect, reverence, and obedience. Understand? That's a big deal. He's our creator. He made us. We know that through creation. We talked about that last week. That's what we owe him. How many people do you know who do that? Oh, there's people, they'll give a nod once in a while to God, right? If something really good happens, oh, thank God. They'll just kind of say it flippantly like that. They don't even know what they're saying necessarily. Or they will cry out when they're in trouble. How many of you, before you were a Christian, you know, God, if you were get me out of this one, I'll be, I mean, I will be obedient. I'll promise to stop doing this and doing that, right? We've all made those bargains with God. So we still acknowledge God even as unbelievers in those times that shows that we're made in his image and that we have no excuse even there, right? But how many people do you know that? And how much did you really give thanks to God before you were a Christian? Was he even in your thoughts that much? I don't know. Did you even give him a thought? Not really, because it's not in our nature. That's, that's our, our, our sinful nature. We're not honoring him in that way. And, and the idea is like for unbelievers, you know, what does God have to do with me? I, 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 I don't bother with him. 
Why should he be bothered by me? And that's kind of the attitude among so many unbelievers. You know, I'm a bother with him. What do I got to do with God? I'm not really. You are accountable to God because you are made in his image. And you will answer to him. That's the deal. That's what he's saying here. You owe him honor. It doesn't matter if you don't believe in him. You know him in your heart of hearts. But that attitude of not honoring just speaks to the heart, doesn't it? It just does. It shows that pride of man. I'm not going to honor God. Who's God to me? He, what's he done for me? I don't need to do You know, that's, it shows the rebellion of the sinful heart across the board. And it doesn't matter. It's not just that wicked, you know, human trafficker person that's so wicked and bad. No, no. It's even the, 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 the distinguished statesman is in the same place. The respected member of the community. It's across the board that we don't honor God if you're not in Christ. And that's a sign why his wrath is being poured out on us and that we need Christ. Listen, let me give you an illustration. Every legitimate authority, every legitimate authority is due honor and respect, right? Which is due honor and respect is not to be disobeyed, disrespected, or ignored. And again, this ties into the fifth commandment. Remember, the first table of the law applies to us. And here's when we talk about honoring. When we honor people, there are some that are due honor and respect because of their position, because of their place. It just is. Like what? What's the fifth commandment? Children, honor your mother and your father. Okay? You're to honor your father and your mother. Sorry about that. <laughs> Children are to honor their parents. So what do you see? What happens when some of the kids, when they ignore their parents? And I'm not just talking about little tykes. Little tykes, you know, you're wrestling with them and working with them. But, but even on that level, but when they ignore their parents, parents, you know when they disrespect you, when they just turn their nose, and they'll just do something very deliberately. Before They're not honoring or respecting your authority, authority that's given by God. That's, a, that's a, a, a reflection of how we are with God. We don't honor or respect him, and it's due. We don't listen and obey him. So sometimes those kids grow up and they just fight. There, there'll be kids that hit their parents, that despise their parents, that hate their parents, and reject that authority completely. See that? That's an illustration of this. Same commandment, this falls within the same realm of the fifth commandment, where people, people's attitudes towards civil authorities, towards that office. That office is owed honor and respect and dignity and fear. How many people are reacting that way towards civil authorities? They think of our police officers. I mean, there are people that still do that, but by and large, more and more, you have that attitude, even towards the office. Well, if you're a you must be bad. You're not good. You don't deserve my honor or my respect. That's a reflection. That's a reflection. You still owe them honor and respect because of the office itself. Students towards teachers. There are teachers that are afraid to go in their classrooms in some of the city schools and different schools. Every day, they don't know where they're going to get, or they just give up because they get no respect. They get no honor from those students. Right? They get just the opposite of that. See, this is all a reflection of that honor that's due, just tiny, that honor that's due the Lord because we're creating his image. Employees towards employers. You don't have that distinction anymore almost, right? People just walk out of work these days. Yeah, even when we were young, we had those jobs like at KFC. You worked and you worked hard and you honored the company. You respected that. Kid goes into work today, doesn't like the hours. They'll just walk out on their shift. It doesn't matter, does it? It gets back to this idea. 
We're expected to honor, to respect, and to obey these authorities. How much more almighty God who made us and created us? You see in our world today. And the more, listen to this, the more that we refuse, the deeper the rebellion comes out, the deeper the contempt towards God. And today, beloved, we're living in a day where there's deep rebellion against God. Deep rebellion against authority ultimately is against God. What we're really doing is shaking our fist. Honor God? Not going to honor God. People are shaking their fists at God. There's open defiance and open rebellion against God. Who is this God and who's he to tell me, honor him? That's the attitude. That's what we have going on in today's world. They did not honor God. That's something that we inherently need to do. It doesn't matter who you are. That's not just for the Christian. That's across the board for everyone. And when you don't, that shows your rebellion, your sin, and your need for Christ. Amen? It's that simple. That's what he's saying here. Number two, the second big one, they refused to give thanks to God. They refused to give thanks to God. They didn't honor him. They didn't give thanks. If you're a Christian this morning... You wouldn't think of not giving thanks to God. At least I hope you wouldn't. Sometimes we forget. But man, even when you sit down for a meal, even when you grab something, we give thanks to the Lord. We, we acknowledge him, his goodness. His, we give thanks in all circumstances. We give thanks in good, with God's good providence when things are going well. We give thanks in God's hard providence at all times because we know that he's causing all things to work together for good. We know that he's sovereign over all things. Uh, the The... the the Puritans had a saying, well, it was a saying, just a quote. It says, his presence makes every situation comfortable. It doesn't matter what our situation is if he's there with us. His presence makes every situation comfortable. You know that if you're a Christian this morning, and it doesn't matter what we're going through. We could be wonderfully living life. Things are going well. We could be facing death. It doesn't matter because we have Christ in the midst of that, and we give thanks unto him. Before Jesus Christ, you wouldn't think of giving thanks to God. Not much anyway, right? Again, you may, you may pay some kind of lip service once in a while, but before Christ, you wouldn't think of giving thanks to God. Thank him for what, right? See, for the unbeliever, it's natural not to give thanks to God. For us, it's, we give thanks automatically. At least you better be giving thanks at all times. Amen? Praise God. But, you know, when you weren't a believer, did you really give thanks to God all the time? Again, maybe once in a while in a flippant kind of way, sort of in that way. Eh, but not really like you do now. But see, he's owed how we give thanks to him now from everybody all the time everywhere. And when you don't do that, you're showing yourself to be an enemy of God, that you don't really love God, that you're not looking to God. And that's why we need the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's always about grace and bringing the gospel in. Amen? Blessed be his name at all times. Again, when you don't give thanks to God, that's a sign. You see the pride. Like God has made us, but when you're not giving thanks, you see that, 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 that pride, that arrogance in people, the self-sufficiency. I don't need you, God. Right? Unbelievers will say, well, what has God done for me? Right? I've worked hard to make my living. I've earned what I have. I've overcome the obstacles. Have other, I might have other people to thank. You know, I thank my parents. I thank this person. I thank that person. Right? I thank God. That's Romans 1, man. This has been before t- since time. In memoriam, just don't give thanks to God. Do you see how deeply, though, that affects and that thanks? Because here's God who, he owes, he's owed thanksgiving. 
Don't give thanks to him. But you know what? Unbelievers still show that they're deists and still show that they know God because just when they won't give thanks to God about anything in their life, hey, I've earned it, I've done it, I'm the good one. They're very quick to blame God, aren't they, though, when things go bad? Insurance companies, Bill, do they still do that? What do they call natural disasters? Catastrophes or acts of... Do they still use that term? They acts of God. You know, so, so when a tornado comes and something destructive comes, oh, that's an act of God. <laughs> that's a bad thing. You know, I'm not going to give thanks to God. That's, that's, they're, they're very quick to blame God. Somebody who never really believed in God, how many times did you say, God, why would you let this happen? How could God let this happen? So you acknowledge you're still a theist in that way, even though you claim to be an atheist or don't believe in God. You're not going to give thanks to him, man, but you'll blame him every single time. What kind of God does that? Understand this. Paul's saying this right here very plainly. Although they knew God, they didn't honor God or give thanks to him. That's, these betray, not honoring, not giving thanks, simply betray big-time rebellion. Big-time rebellion. Art. Paul's making that case of our rebellion. No place to go. He's sealing off all the exits. He's trapping us under that sin so that we'll turn to Jesus Christ. So he's, he's really drilling in in this way. And then we see the results of that separation from God, both on the inside, what it does in, internally as we're separated from God, not honoring, not giving thanks, and then outward manifestations. I'm just going to talk about the inside, like in the mind, in the heart, how that affects us. Here's how unbelief affects us. Here's how our sin affects us. Here's how our rejection of God affects us, man. Here's what not honoring God and not giving thanks to him, how, how, where the effects of that in our lives. He goes on to say this. They didn't honor or give thanks, but they came, became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Cloud, I get this thing in my throat. I'm going to have to keep it down. I'm getting too excited. For although they knew God, they didn't honor as God or give thanks to him, but became futile in their thinking. Their foolish hearts were dark and claiming to be wise. They became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds, and animals, and creeping things. This is on the inside. This is what goes on in the mind. It's expressed in our idolatry. We'll talk about next week. But right now, they became futile in their thinking. Do you know what that means? That word for thinking is actually speculations. They became futile in their speculations. In other words, unbelievers, those who don't honor God, trust in God, look to, look to the Lord, <clears throat> and you know this, are flawed in their thinking. They don't reach the correct conclusions. God's standard, God's way, they don't come to that. So it's vain, ultimately. In their th they're not thinking God's thoughts after him. As Christians, we seek to do that. But this idea of futility in our minds has to do with the noetic effects of sin, that, that, that sin affects all our, our entire being, including our mind. But it's ex especially expressed in a person's worldview. This is where it comes out, that flawed thinking in your mind. is how you view the world. And Paul, that's what that means when he talks about this. What, what informs you? What lens do you use to, to, to view the world, right? What informs your thinking? How you know what you know? what you are to believe, why you do the things you do, the nature of reality, why we're here, right and wrong, all these things. That's what he's talking about here. There's two ways to think, man. There's biblical worldview, and then there's everything else, whether it's philosophy, other religions. They have, everybody has a worldview. It's either biblical or not, philosophical. It's either informed by God or ultimately it's man-centered, okay? 
Let me give you an example of this. And this is what Paul means when he talks about they became futile in their thinking, man. They're not thinking the way God, God's thoughts after him. You didn't do that before you were a Christian. Now we seek to do that. I hope we do. We, we seek to do that. Our worldview has changed. But before that, even though they know God, they don't want to think his thoughts after him. So you have, we'll just use one example, naturalism. That simply means the, the materialist. That means the evolutionist. That's the person who doesn't believe in anything supernatural, that God doesn't create, there are no miracles. No, every, just what you see is what you get. Okay, it's all about nature, and that's how we got here. That's just, you could do this with any other kind of philosophy, any kind of religion, but let's just think about biblical worldview and ta- think about the futility in mind. When you're looking at it biblically, let's think about these things. Let's think about creation. How did we get here? As a Christian, we know God created all things in the space of six days and all very good. That's a biblical worldview. That's in line with Scripture. You talk to the materialists, and this is how they view the world and has implications on how they think and what they do and how they live their lives, man. And how, this is why, part of why they reject God. So what's a materialist? How do we get here? I don't know. Chance, luck. Right? Right timing. We talked a little bit about that last week. Kind of a, there was really nothing there, but then maybe there was just matter there, compacted. It blew out and everything formed over time perfectly, and we have what we are today. We just kind of evolved in that way. That's naturalism. That's the worldview, right? So, so you have God who created, who deserves honor, or nothing, just matter that's just kind of there. So who are we going to praise? Do you understand? This is very practical. This gets down to. What about authority? What's our authority? Where does our authority lie? Where does it come from? comes from God and his law. That's where authority comes. That's a biblical worldview, right? <clears throat> and even unbelievers understand that. I'll give you an illustration on that in a moment. But where does naturalism, where does that authority come from? Where does final authority lay? Yeah, that's right, with man, with man. And then you have things like science, psychology, and those, those kinds of natural sciences in, in that area, uh, nature. Right? That's, that's kind of the authority there. They're viewing it in that lens. That's the fu- they became futile in their thinking because they're not thinking after me. Right? <clears throat> what about man? What's the Bible's view of man? Are we good little boys and girls? <laughs> no, no. We're sinners from birth. In my, in my mother's womb, I was conceived in sin. Right? So that's, we're sinful. What's the naturalist view of man? Ah, man, is pretty good. That's, that's a big deal. It has implications in how they live life. Uh, they're at least, they, man is generally good, but if not, at least they're a blank slate. And then all the environmental factors come in, psychological factors, how you're raised, where you live, that comes into play. The cultural factors, sociological factors come into play in that way, the environment. What about morality? We have an absolute standard. We have God's word. We have God's law. That is our standard. That's our worldview. What's the unbelievers? What's a naturalist worldview in that regard? Relativism, right? No, 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 no. It depends on the culture. Whatever, you know, people, the consensus of the people, that's what matters. So everything's fluid. Everything is, you know, they're just different constructs that we, that we have in this way. They can change. They may or may not change. So it is relative. Absolutely. We can almost... Exp- Listen, what was bad and what was wrong yesterday is good and right today. You know, good, good people say, you know, they, people are basically good, but here's what changes. Some of you are familiar with the uh, DSM, Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of... It's the, the psychological manual that comes out, DSM. It kind of de- um, describes and talks about different mental illnesses. You know how many times that's been revised and changed and updated 
on and on. At one time it said homosexuality was not natural, it was sin, it was wrong. Now it's very much accepted. They change. We have an unchanging standard, and that's the authority of God. Salvation through Christ or self, I guess. Survival of the fittest. That's what you have in the end if you're consistent. Death, what's our biblical worldview? How are we informed so we're not futile in our thinking? It's God, it's heaven and hell. For your materialist friend, that's so many people around you today, family, friends, coworkers, schoolmates. Well, there's really no afterlife at all. Or it may be just something that I think of, you know, people just die. See, that's the standard. That's what happens. That's un- and listen to this, and this is really important. And this is how you know that people know God, even if they don't believe in God or say they don't believe in God, say they're not accountable to God. Every unbeliever must borrow from the Christian perspective, from the Christian worldview, in order to make sense of their worldview in some, some capacity in some way. Do you know that? Do you understand that? They can never be completely consistent. In every realm, all the time, they need to borrow what we have from the Bible to make sense of their worldview, even if they don't acknowledge it. And they won't acknowledge it most of the time. So as Christians, we say, okay, they're happily inconsistent. Amen. You know, good thing, too, because if they were consistent in their thinking, we'd be in real trouble. Although people are becoming more and more consistent in their uh, rebellion against God, that's for sure. But thankfully, they're happily inconsistent. Even when it comes to morality, I'm going to give you one simple, simple, simple example to explain this or illustration, and I hope it helps. How the unbeliever has to borrow from the Christian worldview, even to make sense of their own worldview, because they're futile in their thinking against God. Nevertheless, they're still dependent upon God. Am I making any sense at all? (laughs) Maybe this illustration will help. Easy peasy. Think of a stop sign, right? Why do we have stop signs? This is interactive. Why do we have stop signs? What should you do at a stop sign? Stop. (laughs) Yes, you should do that. Mitch is like, no, I just blew one last night, right? That's, yeah. (laughs) Why do we stop? Why do you stop at a stop sign? Okay, that's really good. That's a nice answer, societal good. I thought somebody would say, so I don't get a ticket, and that's true too. But for societal good, and if you take that a little bit farther, it is we do stop to avoid an accident, right? Why do we want to avoid an accident? And I know some of you are thinking, I don't want to mess up my nice car. (laughs) You go a little bit further than that. You don't want to have an accident because it especially avoids serious injury or death. That's why we have stop signs. Now, the big question is this. Why should you care about that? As a Christian, as a Christian with our worldview, so we're not futile in our thinking. Paul says they become futile in the thinking. As a Christian, I could tell you that we believe in the inherent dignity of human life as image bearers of God. That God said life is a precious gift and it is to be preserved. That's why we have stop signs. What about you, Mr. Evolutionist? What do you say? Right? Especially if we've come from nothing, if we've just kind of come from the scum of the earth and, you know, there's no real value and dignity in life at all. We're just kind of, you know, molecules that have evolved over the years and it's kind of the survival of the fittest. So that makes everything be better for me because now you're gone. There's more for me. If I'm consistent, aren't you glad that they're happily inconsistent? Because even the unbeliever is going to say, wait a minute, I care about life. I do care about life. But we have to say on what basis? Why? They have to borrow from the Christian worldview. That's an interesting conversation. We talk about what basis because eventually it comes back down to the Christian worldview.
If you're consistent with your worldview, who cares? But most people value that life, and that's why. That's why Paul says they're futile in their thinking. They're not consistent. If they were consistent, and when they are consistent, that shows the flawed, vain teaching. They're not reaching the right conclusions. That's why Paul says they become futile in their thinking. You're not thinking God's thoughts after. Look at the major cities on our day. Check this out. You want to go to San Francisco? You want to go to Portland? You want to go to Portland, Oregon, that is. I don't know about Portland, Maine, but Portland, Oregon, no. L.A.? Our son Will is a flight attendant for United. He had a layover the other day in Portland, Oregon. He went out from his hotel to get a bite to eat at dinner time. He went two blocks down the street. He had to turn around. That kid was scared. He said he'd never seen so many drug addicts shooting up, homeless people there walking around in the street, just, just, just wandering and doing that. The kid was walking. He turned around and went back, to, went back to the hotel. Why is that? See, it comes down to this vain thinking. It has to do with the view of man. There are people that think man is basically good. It's just the environment. If we just change the circumstances, things will be better. You know, kind of law enforcement, that whole thing, that's not really great right now, so let's kind of take that away. It's the view of man. It's the futility in their thinking. They become vain and futile in their thinking. And then he goes on to say their foolish heart was darkened. That means to be without understanding, without understanding hearts. And you know the heart? It's really the seed of the will, the emotions. It's the core, the being. It's in bondage to sin. We know that as Christians. It's in the dark when it comes to the truth. That's the natural state. Jeremiah 17.9 tells us this. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? That's why David said, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and put a right spirit within me. That's why Ezekiel 36.26 tells us this. I'll give you a new heart. In a new spirit I'll put within you, I'll remove the heart of stone from you and give you a heart of flesh. Because what we believe at the core of our being is antithetical to God, our vain thinking, we became, our foolish hearts are darkened. When you're confronted with the truth, man, if you're not a believer, when you're confronted with the truth of God, that's a truth that you don't want to accept. That's a truth that you don't want to submit to. That's a truth that you want to suppress, you want to push back on and say, no, I want to do what I want to do. And you know what you're driven by? You're driven by your feelings and emotion. That's exactly what you're driven by. It may seem, and that's where you find so many people today, why do they do the things they do? It just seems so right, man. It just feels so right for me to do this. I know what God says. Don't give me your religious talk about how it's bad to do this thing. I know my feelings. I know who I am. I know what I want. Who are you to tell me? Who is God to tell me? So, so I see this more and more. So, so even the things that are, their foolish hearts are dark and they do foolish things, but they say that, that they are, they're good and they're, and they're one, I feel so right. So you see people who've had extramarital affairs and say at that moment, it just felt so right. It might be wrong in some people's eyes to be with somebody else's spouse, but you know what? At that moment, at that time, it felt right for us and it felt good and we loved each other. And the spouse doesn't treat that spouse right. And it goes on and on and on. We see in the transgender movement, for sure, man, this is who I feel I am. This is what, and today I feel this way. Tomorrow I might feel another way, right? And the next day I might feel another way. But that's how I feel, and that's my emotion. So you have the standard of God's word saying, no, 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 male and female. No, 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 I shall not commit adultery. You don't like that. 
So you're going to push back and say, no, 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 God. This is how I feel. This is who I am. This is what I want. Forget about you. They became foolish. They're futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts are darkened, man. That's it. We've been there. We know what that's like. You're driven that way. There's foolishness in these on so many different levels because they don't comport with God's word. They believe that, look, he goes on to say this. We're going to finish up here. He says, <clears throat> they became foolish in their thinking. Their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. This is a big, man, this is so today, isn't this? This is exactly where we find ourselves today. In spades. I mean, it's always been this way, but especially in the time that we find ourselves in, this is more true than ever before. The Bible's not antiquated. It's not an old book that doesn't make sense. It is now. It's transcendent. It's always relevant. Look at this, man. They believe themselves to be wise. The word is sophos, but they became fools. You know what that word is? Moros. That means moronic. They became moronic. And it's not about intelligence. You could be very, very intelligent, but lack wisdom. That's, that's for sure. And he says this. They became fools. There's no shortage of this in the world today. And let me tell you something right now. The farther away you get from God as a society, as an individual or as a society, the more pronounced these kinds of things become. The more futile in your speculation, the more foolish you are in, 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 in your heart and darkened in your understanding. Um, the more you claim to be wise as to just like how equally foolish you really are. We could really see that today. I think we can, right? We see that we see that in personal decisions as well as on a national scale. And this is how it works. And this is how it works even in our context. And I'm telling you this right now, today, here, this morning, because we're in this. And this is why we need to stand firm on the Word of God. Let's think of CRT. Let's think of LGBTQ. There's an air out there right now that we've progressed to the point that if you don't see it their way, if you don't see it this way, then you, 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 you are considered unintelligent. You're, un, you're not enlightened, man. You're, you're behind the... Th- you're living in the past and you're narrow-minded and you're stupid and you're uneducated. Of course systematic racism is real. Of course that's true. How can't you... How, you must believe that. Everybody knows that and you're a dummy if you don't. Claiming themselves to be wise. They're being antithetical to God in that way. White privilege? Of course white privilege exists in space. It, it's not a construct. It's not something that's come out of a particular school of Marxism. No, no, no. It's just the way that we are. That's it. That's what they're doing right here. Gender is non-binary. Come on. Get on board, you old-fashioned dummies. How many of you think there's only two genders? That's archaic. That's stupid. That's dumb. They, them, he, she. That's wise. That's smart. That makes sense. Right? I was at the mall the other day. There was a young girl working there. I was with Addie and the baby. And this girl did not want to assume that I was Addie's daddy and the baby's grandparent. She didn't know. She's like, I'm, you, are you her dad? You know, you sure you're not like her husband or you know, something like that? Right? Because they they're so afraid to make that mistake. Because common sense doesn't make sense to them anymore. Things that are plain 
are twisted and darkened. That's what this means. That's what he's saying here. That's where we are today. That shows how deep sin has penetrated. So when it comes, and listen, more than anything else, this is a slap in God's face, man. Because what you're saying when it comes to this, you, when you're saying in terms of the binary, in terms of transgender, you're saying, God, bam, your intention, man, woman, I don't buy that. You understand? It's not just society. It's actually God in the end who they despise and who they're rebelling against, right? CRT, it's a slap in God's face. They don't want impartiality. They don't want true justice. They don't want true equity, right? It's not about that at all. Slap to God's face. We're going to get what we want now, and we see justice the way we do. This is, this is Romans 1. This is what we're talking about. This is what it looks like in our lives, in the world right now in which we live in. On a macro scale, well, of course, only fools, there's a segment of the population and a growing number that say only fools believe that law enforcement, courts, and prisons are needed. We don't need that anymore. That just kind of encourages it. You know, it's about environment. It's about um, reshaping people. It's about counseling people. Forget the police. Let's have counselors down there. Okay, go walk through Portland. Okay, go walk through San Francisco. Walk in New York City. Go ahead. See what this is the uh, it's foolish, man. It is just is. But that's what they do. And they think it's wise. This is a smart thing. How smart is it, man? Look at the consequences. Look what's happening. People are afraid to go down the street. People were worried because of the lawlessness is there. But this is the wise thing to do. You know what that is, man? That's a slap to God's justice and his holiness and his order. That's what that is in the end. You're saying, God. Only idiots believe that we, need, that we do not need a new green deal. That's the day we're living in. Now, only idiots believe. Are you kidding me? What kind of person are you if you don't believe we need a new green deal? You know, if we can't get rid of all this and all that and all the other thing. You know what that is? That's a slap to God's face and as creator and over his providence and his goodness and his sovereignty. Don't buy into that. This is, this is where we're at. This is, they claim to be wise, but they're moronic. And it comes through in the consequences as we see them playing out right before our eyes. And what are we doing? This is why we need to stand up. This is why we need to preach as God gives us opportunity. No compromise. Never. Ever. We stand strong on the word of God and say, no, we're not going to fall for that. No, I'm not going to call you what you are not. I'm not going to play that game. I'm going to stand on God's word. You need to submit to God. You need to come to repentance. They think themselves to be wise, but they prove themselves to be fools. Proverbs 1.8 says this, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. They're not going to listen to wisdom from word. They're not going to listen to the word of God because what's that have to do with me, man? I'm my own God. We'll see more about that, see more of that next week. Also, we read this. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They do abominable deeds. There is no one who does good. It's in the mind and the heart. Do you see that? Right here, inside, where it comes from. They didn't honor him. They didn't give thanks. They became futile in their speculations. Foolish hearts are darkened. Professing to be wise, they're fools, man. And all those fools need Jesus Christ. You were a fool. We were all fools at one time. And that just means not a dummy, <clears throat> not stupid. It means rejecting God, not trusting in him, not believing in him. 
and that you will be foolish in that way. As an exchange, um, outwardly. Next week, we'll look outwardly and see what happens because we exchange God, the living and true God, for our idols. We'll talk about that because we all worship. I don't care who you are, where you live, where you've been. We worship our heart's desire, our heart's love, our heart's value, our heart's reverence. The unbeliever does not desire, love, value, or reverence God, but he worships nevertheless. We're going to see that next week. These are all reasons that show, these, these are all facts that show that we know God, reasons why we reject God, and reasons why we need the gospel of Jesus Christ, and reasons why we need to stand strong and preach the gospel of Christ. All of this, all of this that Paul's talking about shows our sorry state apart from Christ. And we were all there at one time. I'm not saying anything new. I'm just telling you it's the way it is. Right? We fail. We refuse to honor and give thanks. And this is the result. Paul is showing that there's no escaping God. You can't. He cuts off any means of retreat. And this is tough stuff. And I want us to feel the weight of sin. Because once we feel the weight of sin and acknowledge that, we see, number one, how necessary salvation is. It encourages us to preach the gospel. And then we see how sweet salvation is in Jesus Christ. If you've been saved, if you know Christ, you know what that means, where you were, how you were thinking. This was you, man, at one time. Paul says this, we were th- at one time, that was you, but no longer. You've been washed. You've been cleansed. You're a new creature in Jesus Christ. You have new priorities. You have a new worldview. You're living for him. Amen and praise God. So we live for him. We stand strong. We preach the gospel with boldness, grace, and compassion and love that those who do not know him, who are living here, may come to know him, just like you came to know him. And somebody shared that gospel with you. And somebody prayed for you. And somebody was gracious with you.